So let's look at our passage today. It is in Matthew chapter 1. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Matthew chapter 1, 6 through 11. And Jesse fathered King David, and David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam, Rehoboam fathered Abijah, Abijah fathered Asa, Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat fathered Joram, Joram fathered Uzziah, Uzziah fathered Jotham, Jotham fathered Ahaz, Ahaz fathered Hezekiah, Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, Manasseh fathered Ammon, Ammon fathered Josiah, Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you that you are a God who is always speaking, Lord, and you are a God who is always near and present with us, Lord. And we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you're here with us, God. And we just pray that, that your word that comes out of my mouth would accomplish the purpose for which you send it, God. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory uh, for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So uh, if you are new with us here this morning, um, this is Advent season uh, in the life of the church. All right. Advent, very simply, that word means arrival. So we are celebrating as a church the arrival of Jesus into the world. Not only that, Jesus came, he grew up, he resurrected from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And during his ministry, he said, I'm going to come back. So we, as we just sang, we are w waiting for his arrival the second time. That's what we're doing uh, all throughout um, Advent season. And man, I could not think of a better way to celebrate Advent than looking at this list of names for another week. You guys ready for this? Okay. All right. I know you guys are excited about this list of names. Um, this list of names. Jesus' genealogy. Um, so what we're going to see today is that God saves his people. That's what we're going to see. God saves uh, his people. Now, that raises a question, though. Who are his people? Who, who are God's uh, people? Right? And, and here's who God's people. God's people are those who are built. That's what we're going to see. God's people are those, those who are built. Now, I don't mean like... <clears throat> You got them big biceps like me, you know see what I'm saying? You got the big peps, pecs, you got the lat, you know, the lats right here, you know, you got the traps. I don't mean anything like that because uh, I would not be a part of it. As you can see, uh, I'm not talking about that. Um, uh, as we mentioned last week, this list of names is all about a promise that God made. So you guys want to know what the whole Bible is about? I'm going to break it down for you. This is the simplest I can break it down for you. The first part is called the Old Testament. It's about a promise that God made. Send the Savior into the world. The second part, the New Testament, is about a promise kept. It's about how God kept his promise from the very beginning to send uh, the Messiah, the Savior, uh, into the world. So why did Matthew uh, give us this list of names? Why did he give us this list of names? And here, here's what it is. It's about the rock-bottom truth of what Christianity is really all about. Do you want to know what Christianity is all about? It's about this list of names. Because this list of names tells us about a person. Christianity is about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
right? And Matthew tells us that Jesus is God with us, that God came down and wrapped himself with flesh, like I got this coat on here this morning. That is what Christianity is all about. Just God came down to, to be with us to save his people. Look what it says in, in verse 22 and 23. Matthew says, now all this, all the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. You see that? Everything that happened uh, with the birth of Christ happened to fulfill what the prophets spoke long ago. And then Matthew quotes Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel, which was a title, which is translated God with us. All right, that is what the whole book of Matthew is about. From beginning to end, the fact that God came to be with us. Right, like in history, God came to be with us. Now, Christianity is not a teaching, by the way. It's not some teaching. Christianity is not rituals. And maybe that's how you've experienced church before. Like it's, you go to a building and people are doing uh, rituals, ceremonies. That's not what Christianity is, is about. Christianity is not something that you got to do. Christianity is not about being a good person. It's not about being uh, moral. Right? Christianity is not about going to church. Christianity is about how on a certain day, if you would have been there, you would have heard that baby cry. That's what Christianity is about. It's about the fact that the Christ was born into the world, into um, human history. And he was born. You take away Jesus. If you take away Jesus, you don't have Christianity. Because it's not about some rules. It's not about a morality or a philosophy or a teaching or a way of life or anything like that. Right? If you take away Jesus, you ain't got no salvation which is the whole thing. He came to save his people. Uh, listen to what Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says. And this is talking about uh, after Jesus resurrected, he sent his disciples out into, uh, around the Mediterranean into the Roman Empire to preach the gospel. Look what they said. Here's what they said. There is salvation in no one else. There, there is no way to be saved uh, in anyone else or anything else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You see that? All right, this obviously makes Christianity distinct. Christianity teaches that all the other religions, listen, we're all not the same. We're all not worshiping the same God. Christianity says, no, there's only one way, one name under heaven by which we must be saved, and that is Jesus. Every other religion is about something that you must do, something you got to do, some teaching, some path, some way, something you, gotta, some way, something you have to earn. Not with Christianity, because Christianity be begins with this list of names. Right? Because Christianity is about the gospel. And the gospel, very simply, that word just means uh, good news. It's the good news about who Jesus is and, and all that he has done. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of, of when Jesus was born, uh, there was these shepherds out in the fields just doing their job, minding their own business, and all of a sudden God ripped the heavens open, and there was this big, huge choir of angels praising God and announcing the good news of the gospel. And this is what they said. Look, this is what it says. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. I got a lot of scripture here this morning. But the angel of the Lord said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. 
And see, this is what this is what Christianity is all about. This good news of great joy. And here it is today in the city of David, a savior, someone who came to save, is born for you, who is the Messiah, the true King of Israel. He is the Lord. See that? Why did Matthew? in this list of names, say that Jesus was a son of David. That's what we saw in the, in the, in the verses that we looked at, uh, 6 through um, 11, that Jesus, uh, in his family tree, was King David. Um, here's why. Because God made a promise to David um, that he was faithful to keep. David was one of the most, uh, uh, was Israel's most famous king. And uh, he wanted to build God a house. He wanted to build God a temple. And God came to him and said, I'm not, I'm not going to let you do that because uh, you shed a lot of blood. You've been involved in a lot of wars. Um, so he sent Nathan the prophet uh, to King David. And here's, here, here is the promise that God made to David. 2 Samuel 7, verse 11. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. David came, David came and said, God, I want to make a house for you. And God says, no, I actually want to make a house for you. Look at it. When your time comes, when you die and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your, your descendant who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one, check this out, who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, this is the great promise that God made to King David. This is what's called the Davidic covenant. It's the promise that God made to David. All right, listen. God didn't make this promise to David because he knew he was going to be a good boy. Because he knew he was going to be perfect and he knew he was going to uh, be faithful. God made this promise to David despite knowing he was going to screw up. And he had some big screw-ups. Y'all want to hear about him? All right. Well, here it goes. Um, look at, here's our list of names. Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. Pay, pay attention here. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. You get it? Yeah, that's in the list of names. So that means he had a baby with another man's wife. Yes, he did. All right, so that's Jesus' people. There's Jesus' people. That's his, that's his family. That's his, that's his, that's his family uh, tree. So here's what happened. David wasn't where he was supposed to be. By the way... Men, when you are not where you're supposed to be, you're going to be getting into trouble. That's just, that's just the way it is. I, 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 you know, I work with uh, guys and substance abuse all the time, and here's what I say. Listen, when you are not where you're supposed to be and you're not worn out and tired, chances are you're going to be getting into things you shouldn't be getting into. So that's, that's for free there. Um, so David wasn't where he's supposed to be, and uh, he's out kicking it on his rooftop deck. You know, he's, he's lounging, and he looks out. Uh, he looks out uh, across uh, the, uh, the city there and sees a woman bathing, right, taking a, taking a shower. And he sends for her, and he sleeps with her, uh, which is adultery, uh, which is wicked, uh, by the way. That's one, of the, that's one of the Ten Commandments. That's obvious. And she got pregnant, and that's a problem. That's a problem because her husband was out where he was supposed to be. Bathsheba's husband Uriah was out defending the country where David should have been. Uh, so what David does, he sends for Uriah. He has, him come to, has him come to his house, has him partying, drinking, gets him drinking a little too much, 
sends him home, sleep with his wife. Because he knew he hadn't been with his wife for, for a long time. But Uriah was a better man than David and slept outside. Because he refused to sleep with his wife while his brothers were out there shedding their blood for the country. And David had to cover the whole thing up. So here's what he did. He told the general of the army, here, look, look, put Uriah at the front line. And when the, when the battle gets thick, I want you to retreat from him. And that's what happened. And he died. And that's called murder. And that's what David did. Now, now, and that displeased the Lord. Now, why is that included in Jesus' genealogy, his family tree, and his list of names? Here's why. God came to save his people. And his people are sinners. God's people are adulterers and murderers. Is that shocking to you? Here's something shocking. Most of your Bible was written by people who had spilled blood. Right? Because God's people, God's people uh, are sinners. Right? Um, I was listening to an interview a while back. I mentioned this uh, in a sermon one time. It was a college professor, a guy. He's been a professor for a long time. And uh, he was talking about how the questions that his students uh, have been asking has changed over the years. Like in the 70s, everybody was asking, what is truth? What is really truth and how can we know it? But today, the students are asking, what's wrong with America? What's wrong with America? See, here's the deal. We all know something's wrong. We all know something, <laughs> something's messed up. Is there anybody in the room that thinks everything is just perfect right now? Everything is, is peachy? And it's a utopia. Anybody want to volunteer for that one? Yeah, because we all know. We all know uh, something is, is, is wrong. So here's what's wrong. The same thing uh, that was wrong with everybody in this list of names right here uh, that, that is in uh, Matthew chapter 1. Listen here, the Bible says we are all crazy. Yeah, the Bible says every one of us is, is a little bit nuts. Now, some of us more than others, but all of us, all of us are crazy. You wanna, do you want to see the Bible's diagnosis of your biggest problem? Here it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 3. There is an evil. This is David's son, by the way, Solomon, who was born by Uriah's wife. There is an evil in all that is done under the sun. There is a fate for everyone. In addition, here it is, the hearts of people are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. You see that? That's what's wrong with us. Madness is up in there. I mean, what would happen if you let it all out and you, and you, you acted upon it? And after that, they go to the dead. There it is. Then Jeremiah chapter seven, uh, 17, verse 9 and 10. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. You see that? Our own hearts deceive us. Right? We don't know who we are, what we should do, or what's really wrong with us at times. Look at this. Desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? This is the Lord speaking. Check this out. But I, the Lord, search all hearts. See that? And examine secret modes. God's saying, listen, I know exactly what's wrong with everybody. I, I, know, I, know, and I know what's wrong. Look what he says. I give people their, their due reward. That is their justice according to what their actions deserve. All right, listen, we are all sinners according to the Scriptures. We all screw up. We all blow it. Right? We're all in that list of names, and we all need to be saved. And this ought to be obvious to everybody. 
It's not to be obvious to everyone in the, in the whole world. Uh, G.K. Chesterton was a famous uh, Christian philosopher. This is what he said. Original sin, that is the fact that we all come into this world born sinners. And if you don't believe that, we have a ministry opportunity here for you. It's called working with kids in child care. And it'll be proven to you. All right? Original sin, which is the only part of Christian theology which can really be proved. Because all you got to do is just look around. All you got to do is just look within yourself. See, something has gone drastically wrong. Right? And as we move through this, uh, this list of names, the point of this whole list of names is that we all need a Savior and that we all need to be saved. Listen, I could, I could go through this whole list here. This whole list this morning, time would fail me to tell you about Rahab in this list of names. Rahab, who was a prostitute. That's Jesus' people. That's his family tree. Ruth, the, the pagan Moabitess. Solomon, you figured he'd learn from dad. He had like 700 women up in his house, which was his downfall. Manasseh, and on down the line. Uh, listen, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I find this incredibly encouraging. Right? Because it means that there's, there's a spot for me. Right? That, that God came to save his people who are sinners, and that means that, that I can be saved, that there's, that there's hope for me. Right? These people are included in uh, the family tree of Jesus. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, to save the worst of them. My favorite verse in the Bible, when I first became a Christian, the guy who led me uh, to Christ came over to my house and showed me this verse. He said, look at this. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this. This is a trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came to, into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And I said, that's me. That's talking about me. That's why, he, that's, that's, why, that's why he came. Let me ask you a question. Do you see yourself in this list of names? Do you see yourself there? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and to build something beautiful out of them. That's the whole, that is why he came. He came into the world to build something out of, of broken people. See, all these people on this list, they were all imperfect, fallen, lost, empty, and in need of a Savior. And guess what? He came. He was born. I love, I love Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was ever born. God, by the Spirit, looked down through time and he proclaimed this in Isaiah 9. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. And that's just not just talking about the U.S. government. That's talking about everything. Everything will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And look at this. The dominion will be vast. In other words, his kingdom will will expand throughout the whole, um, the whole world. Look at this. And its, its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David over his kingdom. All right, this is the promise that has been fulfilled. All right, this is what's happening with you as a Christian. This is, this is the truth. This is what God is doing. He is reigning. On, Jesus is reigning on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Now do you see Matthew's purpose here? Saying that Jesus was 
a son of David. God made a promise to David to build for him a house. And you are that house who believe in Jesus. You see that? God told David, David, I'm going to build you a house. And what he meant was everyone who comes to believe in Jesus is built up into that house. You are that house. You are the promise kept of God who believe in Jesus. That is crazy. That is beautiful. That is mind-blowing. That is wonderful. That's what makes Christmas wonderful. You ever seen those, uh, those magnets, those big magnets like in a scrapyard? In a metal scrapyard, it's like on a crane, and it's just swinging, swinging through the scrapyard. It's just, it's just gathering up all, all, all the metal. Have you guys ever seen one of those things? Those things, are, those things are wild. That's what Jesus is like. Jesus is like a huge magnet drawing and, and just magnetically drawing all his people to himself. See, that's why he came. Jesus came to gather up all God's children, build them into the house uh, that, that, that God is building and uh, he had to grow up, become a man, and die to make that happen. Yeah, he did. Jesus Christ went to the cross for you that the justice and the judgment and the wrath of God that it was meant for you fell upon Christ at the cross, and he died. Remember what Ecclesiastes chapter 9 said? After that, they go to the death. They go to death. That's not the way the world's supposed to be. We're not meant to die. Right? We all know that, that death, death is a horrible enemy. Christ took that for you. He took the death that, that um, w- was meant for you, and he rose from the dead because the grave could not hold him. He resurrected bodily and physically and walked and talked 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven. And Jesus Christ is Lord of all lords. He, right now, The risen Christ is ruling, reigning over all things. He is king of kings. I read it the other day. Revelation chapter 1. Jesus is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. That is your Lord. That is your Savior. Listen, you want to know who's calling the shots? Jesus. Yeah, he is. He is is our Lord. And he is our our Savior. This is what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to uh, preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Right? And this is the call for everyone in the room, that Christ came into the world, right? and he, as a result of what he's building, he calls you to repent. That is, say goodbye to the old life. Goodbye to that old life of me being Lord, and, and hello to the new life of me trusting the Lord Jesus and following uh, him as his disciple. This is the magnetic power of the gospel. That you come to believe it's all true. That, yeah, he really did come. He really did live. He really was uh, resurrected from the dead. Yeah, if you would have been there, you would have saw him. Yeah, if you would have been there, yeah, the grave was empty. Yeah, there's an empty tomb somewhere in 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 the Middle East. This is why we got several people getting baptized here this morning. Yeah, because they've all, they've all come to believe this, and they all uh, want to follow Christ as their Lord and Savior. And baptism is such a beautiful picture of what he is, he, Jesus is building. In these baptisms that you're about ready to see, you are seeing Jesus build his church. That's what's going on. That's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter, this is the promise that Jesus made to us. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. 
I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That's what Jesus said. Sorry for all those who don't believe in organized religion. Jesus does, and he's going to do it no matter what. It doesn't matter what demon in hell, what devil in hell, what gate. The church advances against the gates of hell, and that's what you're seeing going on. You are seeing that promise that God made to David all the way back then. I'm going to build my house. It's happening right now. It's going to happen right now. Right? It's a visible de- baptism is a visible, visible demonstration of God's faithfulness to his promises. So who are God's people? It's those who come to believe in Jesus and who are built up into his house. That's, that's the first thing. Second is, God's people are those who are baptized. Absolutely. God saves his people, and those who are saved identify with him in baptism. Listen, there aren't uh, Christians out there who, who aren't baptized and who don't belong to uh, God's people. Right? It's a possibility, but it shouldn't be that way. God's people are those who, are, who get baptized and who come to belong to the church. Yeah, that's what you see. That's the truth. That's why Jesus, uh, that's why Jesus uh, came. Jesus Christ, after he resurrected from the dead and before he ascended into heaven, gave his church two ceremonies that we were to celebrate on an ongoing basis. First is the Lord's Supper, and we're going to celebrate that here, here in a minute. The second is baptism. Look at, look at what it says in uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven, on earth, heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How are we supposed to do that? Baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is what we're here to do. We are here to follow in the footsteps of Jesus as a church, to go out and to proclaim the good news of his resurrection, see people come to know him, be baptized, and for us as a church to take on the responsibility to teach and disciple them that they might become mature uh, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in baptism, here's what happens. When that person goes under the water, they are saying goodbye to their old life. They're forgiven, right? And they're raised up, and they're saying, all right, I'm going to follow Christ now, very imperfectly, but that's what I'm, I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm welcoming this new life. Baptism is like um, putting on camo to go hunting. That's what baptism is, because you put on camel to go hunting. You're gearing up for what you're about ready to do. You're about ready to, uh, you're about ready to go hunting. So in baptism, we're saying, listen, I'm cameled up with Jesus now. Right? I'm clothed with Christ. I, I'm, I am going to follow him now. I am gonna, I'm going to plug into the church. Right? I'm going to love him and believe him and follow him in every way I possibly can. Uh, Martin Luther who was the, uh, the, uh, the Protestant reformer. I love what he said. When he was tempted by the devil, oppressed, struggling in his walk, Christ struggling to obey, um, tempted in all kinds of ways, you know what he would do? He would think to himself, I've been baptized. I've been baptized. I've been baptized. Right? And that, that thought would encourage his heart. And it would strengthen him, help him keep going, keep Keep on uh, down, the, down the right path. Have you ever thought about it like that? 
This was challenging to me this week. You ever thought about your baptism that, uh, uh, that way? You ever consider the importance of your baptism? Those of you who are already baptized or those of you who are getting ready to be baptized. Well, we're going to do it together. How about that for a couple of minutes? Let's consider the importance uh, of, of our baptism. All right, and this is, going to be, this is going to be good for those of you who are getting baptized right, and those of you who already are. Their baptism is a reminder to you. Their baptism is a preaching of the good news of the gospel to those of you in the room who have not given your life to King Jesus um, yet. It is a call to come and to be baptized. And it's a challenge to you, church, to you, Wellspring Church. It's a challenge to you to say, hey, listen, this is our responsibility to care for these people, to love these people, to decide. When they get baptized, it's not say, hey, Ricky, now do your job, Ricky. No, the baptism is to say, hey, now you do your job. That is to actually welcome these folks in and to, to, um, to love them, to care for them. So, Wellspring, by baptizing these, baptizing these people, you are saying, we will love you as Christ has also loved us. So, so number one, baptism reminds us about who you are. That's what baptism does. That's one of the biggest questions of our day, of identity. Who, who are we? Who am I? How could I know that? Baptism settles that. Here's what it, here's what it says. Galatians 3.27, for those of you who were baptized into Christ, have been clothed with Christ. See that? Baptism reminds you that you belong to Jesus now. That's who you are. No wonder um, it encouraged uh, Martin Luther that, that in baptism we have renounced the devil and now we belong to Jesus. And we are his people. We are forgiven. Baptism reminds us that we are forgiven of all of our sins. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing that we are clothed with Christ. We are on team Jesus, that we belong to Jesus. God saves his people, and now we belong to the church. Amen. Yeah, we ought to get excited about that, Miss Linda. That is amazing. Who are we? Well, we're in Christ. That's what baptism says. We're, we're, we're in Christ. We're saved. We're adopted. We're forgiven. We're justified. We're raised up, born again, being sanctified, headed for glory. I see, baptism reminds us that we've been risen with Christ. And one day that man is going to crack the sky. One day we're going to see King Jesus, as we just sang, with eyes full of fire. That's what we're doing. That's what Advent is all about. It's waiting. Waiting for him to return. That is our hope. Number two, baptism reminds us about what to do. What is your purpose? What are you here for? What, is God, uh, what does God want you to do with your, white, or your life? Baptism tells us. Baptism tells us that about the, baptism proclaims the supernatural reality of our union with Christ. That's what it's telling us, that we have been sandwiched up with Jesus now. Romans 6, uh, verse 3 and 4 puts it like this. Or are you unaware? Are you unaware? Baptism is going to tell you. That all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We've been sandwiched to his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we, we too, are to walk 
and the newness of life. Yeah, baptism tells you that you got a new life to live. God's got something for you to do now. He's got a purpose for you. My wife uh, made some uh, deer burgers last week, and they were particularly good. And, uh, yeah, she's a good cook, but uh, one of the reasons it was, uh, they were good is because when we, when we ground up the deer meat, we put a whole bunch of bacon up in there, right? And bacon always makes everything better. Uh, I love what uh, the comedian Jim Gaffigan, he's got a little a bit about bacon, and he calls uh, bacon uh, the fairy dust of the food world, right? Yeah, bippity-boppity bacon. You put it on anything, and uh, it, makes it, it makes it better, right? It's, it's amazing. So in baptism, we are saying that our lives have been blended together with the life of Jesus. Jesus is the bacon in your life. He makes everything better. Yeah, Jesus is the bacon in your life. Jesus, Jesus baconizes your life. He flavors your life up with his life, his new life, that we are united to him. Here's what that means. That doesn't mean that we're perfect now. No, it means sin is still present, but its power has been broken you know what, as a Christian, as a baptized Christian, you don't have to do it anymore. You can say goodbye to the old life. doesn't mean you're not going to struggle with it. doesn't mean that you're, there's not a battle. To, it just means you're not a slave anymore. You're not a slave to the devil. You're not a slave to the demons. You're not a slave to sin um, anymore. You can resist now in a way that you couldn't do before. I love what J.I. Packer says about it in his book, uh, Taking God Seriously. He says, our personal life has thus been supernaturalized. That's cool. The risen Lord, Jesus, our holy head, and the indwelling spirit, our holy enabler, enabler in a good way, leads us on now into the disciplines of mortifying. Here's what that means. That is resisting and progressively killing sin. And developing, practicing holy habits that God's law and Christ's example both prescribe. Thinking of our baptism will keep our nose to this particular grindstone. Amen and amen, Mr. Packer. Yeah, he's saying, listen, you got Jesus in your corner. You got the Holy Spirit in your corner helping you now, enabling you to kill sin in your life, to murder it. Put it to death, to resist it, and to start doing what God says to do. That is to start incorporating all the things that God says that we ought to be doing as Christians um, into our lives. And our responsibility as a church is to help each other to do it. That's what we're here to do is to be a big old family to challenge each other, pray for each other, rebuke each other. Teach each other, correct one another, and to love, most of all, to love each other. That's what baptism reminds us. Baptism reminds us about our loyalty. And this is the last thing. Uh, my brother recently retired from the Air Force. And uh, I was able to watch his, his graduation ceremony on uh, Facebook Live, which was super cool. Right? Because I haven't been there with him for 20 years. Why he did everything he did and to... They listed off all of his accomplishments. And I was just, it brought tears to my eyes to think my brother did all these things. And his loyalty, his loyalty to our country to do these things. You see, baptism reminds us about our 
loyalty. Loyalty flows from gratitude. Yeah, we are loyal because we're grateful. That's what my brother did. He, he's proud to be an American, thankful to live uh, in, in this country. That's why he did it, risked his life. Baptism reminds us that Jesus was baptized. Remember that? And Jesus wasn't baptized because he had anything to say goodbye to in his life. Wasn't baptized because of any sin in his life. He was baptized to identify with sinners, to identify with us and say, hey, you know what? You are my people. I am going to take responsibility for you and for your sin and bury that stuff. Put it all to death. And we are now forgiven. You know what that makes you? You are the most privileged people on the face of the earth. That's what it makes you. Listen, as a Christian, you ought never to complain. You ought never to whine or grumble or be ungrateful. What? We have been forgiven of our sins. And on top of that, everything that we have in our life is a gift from God. Every good thing that we have in our life. And even the trials, God works them to bring something good uh, in our life. We are the most privileged people on life. Listen, Christ has been loyal to you. You are his people. He came to save you. And now, in grateful response, we give our lives in loyalty to him. That's what we're saying in baptism. When Jesus was resurrected, uh, some of his disciples doubted. They all, they all doubted. They all were disloyal to him. And Jesus appeared to, him, uh, to one in particular, and Thomas in John 20 and says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Yeah, I really am alive. Touch them nail scars. Put your hand here on my side. I'm alive. Don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Yeah, that's, what, that's the proper response, isn't it? That's what these folks are saying in baptism. They are saying, Jesus is Lord. That's what they're saying. And you know what we're saying? Yeah, we all believe that too. And we're going to be loyal to you. We will be loyal to you. That's what we're saying in baptism. That's, what we, that's how we respond now.